Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you are God, that you are our King, that you love us. Thank you for the word that Caleb read for us, for Jesus and how he came and lived among us, taught among us, did things among us, and died for our sin and guilt and shame and, and took it to the grave and then rose victorious over it and ascended to heaven as king over everything. Lord, bless our time together as we ponder what that means for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you really love crossing the border? Nobody. How is that not surprising? Well, as many of you have also, I have crossed the border many times. I grew up in Michigan when I met my soon-to-be wife, Cheryl. She is, was two hours away in a border crossing away in Ontario. So we crossed the border many, many times. And then we moved to Chilliwack, which is close to the border as well, and we crossed the border many times, just as it was so close, it was easy, there was things there that uh, were accessible. And so we, we crossed the border a lot, enough to almost become a routine thing. But many, as many of you probably have stories uh, of border crossings uh, where you realized this isn't always just a routine thing. I had a story like that that was, it, it surprised me it was uh, a, a memorable experience that helped me realize this can be a serious event when you try to cross the border. Well, our church in Chilliwack had decided to buy a minibus, and the best deals were had by flying down to Las Vegas, uh, buying a bus that had been used to transport people between the airport and their hotel, and then to drive it back up to Chilliwack. So we purchased our tickets, and our first hiccup was at the customs in the airport. Uh, we were supposed to go through customs to get to our gate and our, on our layover in Edmonton. And uh, so we were in the airport, we had a couple hours, we went to eat and we thought, well, we'll just a half hour before we have to board, we'll go uh, in, into our gate. Kind of forgot that customs happened first, but what we didn't realize is that customs was only open for a certain for a certain time period. And just as we're walking up, they were walking away. So we couldn't get to our gate to board our plane. We couldn't go through customs. We, we didn't have any authority to be at our gate. So we had to go and find a place to stay and find a flight the next morning. And it all worked out, but we were a little more tired when we got to Las Vegas to get our bus. We got there, went immediately to buy it and started our long road trip back. I had young uh, children at the time, so we were really trying to uh, get back as quick as possible. And so we started, drove into the next, throughout that day, into the night, through the night, into the next day, finally arrived at the border in the afternoon. Needless to say, we were pretty tired. At one point, Dave, who was with me, woke up, tried to sleep on the back row of seats, and uh, he woke up thinking that for sure the semi-truck that was right by him was coming through the window onto him because he thought I might be sleeping. He yelled out and 
So we were pretty tired, and uh, we made it. Uh, what I learned was that when you get to the border, you, you kind of enter a no man's land. I didn't know this before, but, but we parked the bus, we walked into the uh, Canadian Border Service building in order to fill out all the paperwork and everything that we needed to do to get the bus across the border properly. I had forgotten something in the bus, so I went back out and started running back to the bus to grab whatever it was that I'd forgotten. And I was really tired, I wasn't very aware of everything going on around me, and all of a sudden I realized there's a siren going off and a guy yelling. I look up and there's a border guard with his hand on, I think it was a gun, uh, looking at me, yelling at me. And I had no idea what I was doing wrong, but I knew that the weight of the US government was the authority of that government was coming down on me. And so I immediately picked up my hands and, and, and submitted to whatever they told me. I didn't realize that when you go into that building, you're, you're not admitted to Canada yet, but you have to go back through US customs in order to, to the US side to get back in properly. I've learned that very quickly. I didn't, I didn't know that before, and so I learned how important authority is. I realized how scary it is to be on the wrong side of authority and how important it is to humbly submit to authority. Well, in today's passage from Mark 1 that Caleb read for us just a little bit ago, it, it, it's all about authority. But it's demonstrated quite differently than what I experienced at the border. Well, last week, we saw that Jesus, he shows up in the wilderness. He come from a hick town called Nazareth. It wasn't even mentioned in the Old Testament, so he came without pedigree, without fanfare in Mark. And he just shows up where John is baptizing, and he's baptized. And that's when the foundations of creation are, are uh, uh, convulsed, as the heavens are torn open, as God enters in as Jesus is affirmed as the Messiah King, the Son of God, the Spirit-empowered servant. God was breaking into creation. But he doesn't mount a trusty steed. He doesn't brandish his sword. He is sent like a servant out into the desert to be tempted. John the Baptist is handed over. His ministry of proclaiming that someone greater than him was about to come had happened, Jesus begins to preach. And he preaches that the time has come. The divinely appointed time, the Messiah, is here. The kingdom of God is near because the king is here. So repent and believe the good news. There's an urgency to his message. The time is here. The king has arrived. You need to act. Repent, turn from the way that you're living for yourself and believe in me, the king. In my way, put your faith in me as your king. Our passage from this, for this morning begins with Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee. And Mark doesn't fill in any gaps for us. How long has he been preaching this message? Where has he preached this message? He doesn't tell us. We have to find some more of those details in, in Matthew and Luke, but uh, has he seen Simon and Andrew before? We don't know. Have they seen him before? Have they heard his message before? Or have they heard about him? 
We don't know. Mark doesn't tell us. Mark is sharing the story that Jesus is the king and he proves it by what he did. And there's an urgency to the story because Mark sees an urgency in our need to respond as readers. He wants us, the readers, to recognize who Jesus is, what he did, that he is the king. Check out what happened. Check out what happened when, when, when he said what he said, when he did what he did, and what, what, what other people did when they heard. He's telling us, you and me, to respond. So he walks up to these two brothers, Andrew and Simon, as they're doing their job. They're throwing out nets into the lake and they're gathering up the fish that they catch and that's their livelihood and as Mark tells it, Jesus doesn't introduce himself, he doesn't make small talk, he just says, come follow me, I will make you fishers of people. And as strange as this is, what happens next is, is also surprising and informing. It says that at once or immediately, the brothers left and they followed him. They didn't stop and ask questions. They didn't think twice. They just left everything and followed him. So I want you to notice a couple things. One is the authority of Jesus is obvious. We don't know how he said what he said or uh, how they knew that he was someone of authority, but just like I knew that that border guard was an authority that I needed to listen to, these guys, they immediately recognized the authority of Jesus and they followed the second thing to notice is that Andrew and Simon, they demonstrated Jesus' message from last week, repent and believe. They were visual demonstrations, perfect illustrations of what that means. Leave what you're doing, follow me. They left everything, their livelihood, their daily activity, and they, they just left it and they followed Jesus. They literally turned from their old way of life into a new one. They didn't know where he was going. They didn't know how hard it would be. They just put their faith in Jesus that he was going to make them into something more. He wasn't just calling them to give up their old way of life. He was calling them to a mission, to, to a bigger purpose, and they followed him. Well, notice as we continue on in, in the book of Mark that the guys Jesus calls to follow him to be the guys that we call disciples because a disciple is someone who follows and learns from. These guys aren't anything special the way we think of special. They weren't elite. They weren't trained by the best rabbis. They didn't have to go through testing to find out if they're qualified. Jesus sought them out. Jesus called them, and what they did is respond. They followed him. Another thing to notice is the urgency. It says they immediately obeyed. The word translated as at once in verse 18 is repeated six times in the passage Caleb read. And it's actually translated at once or immediately at different times throughout the passage and it's not even translated a couple times because in our English translation it just seems kind of redundant but it's used six times and each time it's connected to something Jesus says or something Jesus does. Jesus is not in a hurry, but he is on mission, and his mission is urgent. 
One more thing before we move on in the passage. The phrase fishers of people is actually a metaphor that was used in the Old Testament. And it was used for the gathering of people for judgment. We see this in a few passages, Jeremiah 16, 14 to 16, Amos 4, 2, and even Habakkuk 1, 14 to 15. But Jesus, like he does with so many other things, he takes that metaphor and he flips it. Instead of gathering people for judgment, he's gathering them to escape judgment. So Jesus has spoken. The brothers, they've responded. And he goes a little further and he sees two more brothers. This time, they, they seem to have a higher economic standing. But that doesn't matter. That's not what he's looking for. Economics has nothing to do with it. Jesus, he's... He's, he doesn't judge people the way we do in our world. He calls them too. And we don't know what he said. It doesn't even record that. He just says he calls them too. He probably is similar to how he called Simon and Andrew. And again, James and John drop everything. This time they, they had a boat and they had hired workers and they dropped it all. And they followed Jesus. Notice again the urgency, the immediate response. The complete repentance, turning away of a former way of life into something new. Notice the authority of Jesus. No questions are asked about who he is or why he has the right to call them into a new way of life. They just recognize his authority and they respond. So Jesus and his new recruits, they go to Capernaum. And that's on the northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a freshwater lake. Uh, and our English translation leaves out the word, but it says immediately on the Sabbath, that word for urgency again. And immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus begins to teach. Mark doesn't record what he says. Mark doesn't record very much of what Jesus teaches. He's all about what Jesus does. He, he cares about what Jesus does and the response that it demands. It's about what happened. And the people respond in amazement. Verse 22 says that he didn't teach like the teachers of the law. He taught as one who had authority. And this isn't, like, this isn't a way to put down the teachers of the law because the teachers of the law, they were actually really good at what they did. They, they were the experts in the Old Testament. They were the scribes who kept written documents. And remember, the printing press wasn't invented yet, so to copy the, the scripture was, uh, took a long time and money, and they were very meticulous about it. The scribes, they knew the scriptures. They were the ones that had authority to, to make decisions about proper interpretation. They were the teachers. They had prestige. They, would, they had the best seats in the synagogue reserved for them. People would stand when they enter the synagogue. But Jesus, he was on an altogether different level. The scribes, they taught his authority because their authority was in the Torah, the Old Testament. They quoted experts, other experts. But Jesus, he taught with his own authority. He taught as someone who spoke, who had authority directly from God. And it was noticeable. The people were amazed by his authority and how he taught. And Mark doesn't take time to reflect on all that what this means before moving on with that next word in verse 23, immediately. Our translation says just then, but the same word is used. 
And it says, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus is teaching. People are recognizing his authority. They're amazed and immediately he's opposed by an evil, evil spirit. The kingdom of God and the domain of Satan are clashing. And we've seen this just a few verses before. Last week, 10 verses ago, Jesus was tempted by Satan. Satan did everything he could to oppose God's plans, to to take Jesus away from his mission, to get him off track. Kingdom of God and the domain of Satan clashing. God breaks into creation. The kingdom enters because the kingdom because the king is here. And it's not just humans who respond. In fact, it's a spiritual battle. Satan doesn't want God's kingdom to advance. He does his best to stop it. So, just as people are recognizing Jesus' authority, he's attacked by an evil spirit. And even though the evil spirit claims Jesus' name, like it's the second time where Jesus' identity is spoken, in, our path, in, in Mark so far, um, Jesus tells them to be quiet. There was a belief that you could gain mastery over a spiritual adversary by, by, by uh, speaking their name. But Jesus, he's going to have none of it. He has the ultimate authority with just one command. He says, come out of him, and, and he asserts his authority, and the demon has to comply. Jesus also knows that Satan is the father of lies, and so he tells the demon to be quiet because he doesn't want people to be learning who he is from, from a, an evil, lying source. That would discredit him. Jesus is the one in control of his message, his timing, his mission, not Satan. There's no opposing ultimate authority. Jesus speaks, stuff happens, and the demon is completely defeated. He, he's so in a hurry to get out of the man that the man convulses and, and there's a shriek and he's gone. For the second time in this moment, the people, it says, are amazed. Jesus calls with authority. He teaches with authority. He's confronted by evil and demons cannot stand a chance against him. The forces of evil are no match for God's kingdom. They may be able to exert authority, but he has ultimate authority. Not only does Jesus teach with authority, he backs it up with visible proof of his authority. And the people not only notice, they can't help but talk about it. The news spreads throughout the region. Mark doesn't make it obvious, but it's implied by what happens. This man who was possessed by a an evil spirit was, was, was healed. One commentator wrote this, the kingdom of God is not a prop for the status quo. It is the power of God at work in history to bring wholeness and healing to people and the structures of power and culture in which they live. The kingdom of God is not a prop for the status quo. It is the power of God at work in history to bring wholeness and healing to people and the structures of power and culture in which we live. 
We, have, we live in a culture where there are many different authorities vying for our allegiance. But God's kingdom is greater. Jesus, the king, is the ultimate authority who commands and directs all others. And the beautiful thing about this king is that he's not a savage dictator. He's not inapproachable. He is a generous, compassionate, loving, and inviting healer whose mission is to teach people how to fish for people, to invite people into his kingdom. He demands a response, but his call is an invitation that we can choose to accept or reject. Those who accept his authority join his mission. We become part of his family who can call his father our father. We gain every spiritual blessing and the real hope that all wrongs will be made right. And the life he gives may be difficult right now, but it's a life of purpose, of meaning, filled with love, and Jesus walking with us. And our mission is to talk about Jesus, is to spread the news about how amazing Jesus is. Jesus is wonderful, he's loving, he's gracious, he's kind, he heals, and he pushes back the forces of evil. And he's the ultimate authority that we all have to come to terms with. Have you recognized, acknowledged, and submitted to his authority? As scared as I was, when that siren went off, as I was crossing onto U.S. soil and the weight of the U.S. government was coming down on me, there was nothing, that was nothing compared with the authority of Jesus. He's the ultimate king. His invitation is to join him now. His judgment later will be fierce for those who choose to reject him. We have many invitations again this morning. And his word demands a response. We don't just read it and say that's cool and, and, and walk away. Well, we can. That's a response. Demands a response. For all of us, I think one invitation, whether it's for the first time or for the nth time, is to recognize, acknowledge, and submit to King Jesus. Repent and believe. Turn away from living your life for your, own will it, for, for your own benefit and turn to his, to him, to trust him and his mission. These words are continual action words. Repent and believe. It's not just do it once and you're done. It's continually repent and believe because we live in a broken world. A world that entices us to Oh yeah, you want that? You want to do that for yourself? We need to repent and believe. Monday morning, repent and believe. Ten minutes later, repent and believe. It's continual action. We need to keep being reminded Jesus is king, not me. Nobody else. 
And this has so many implications to our way of life, but it's not about being perfect. It's about following the one who is perfect. He forgives us when we mess up. And he empowers us with the Holy Spirit who cleanses, transforms, and equips us and enables us to repent and believe and to follow and to live on mission. So if you've never done that before, the invitation is repent and believe for the first time. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and your guilt and your shame. Turn to him and say, I want to live for you. If you've done that, keep doing it. For some of us, the invitation is to get on mission. Call of Jesus isn't just to stop doing bad stuff. It's to join him in his work to tell people about Jesus, to to live it out, to, to love as he loved, to act as he acted, to invite people to join his family, his kingdom, his mission. I don't know how the Holy Spirit is working in your heart because of what we read this morning from his word. But I pray that you be open to it, that you talk to him about it and respond. What is the Holy Spirit inviting you into this morning? Let's pray. God, we are amazed by Jesus. Everything he did was on purpose. Everything he did was according to your plan. Everything he did so that we could be made right with you, so that we could join a mission, a family, a purpose greater than us, greater than anything that we can find here in this world. As your kingdom advances, we pray that you would help us to know how to be a part of it, what, what our role is that you're giving us, what our mission is, God, it's, it's about repenting and believing and following you wherever that leads. I pray that we would be aware of your Holy Spirit and what he's telling us, that we would each individually be aware and as together as a family we would be aware. Thank you that you guide us. Thank you that you lead us. Thank you that you, you don't invite us to go and do something that you don't lead us into but that you're always with us and that you have the ultimate authority. Thank you again. In your name we pray. Amen.